This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. The second of three race days for the Natural State Criterium takes place this evening in downtown Springdale. The rain or shine races come with a $4,000 overall cash purse. The first installment last month drew more than 100 cyclists. The third and final race day, again in downtown Springdale, will be in August. On our show today, we'll catch up with artist and writer Sean Fitzgibbon. His 15 years in the making fully illustrated book about Norman Baker's time at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs is now complete. Our conversation about separating fact from legend and how Sean used different colors to tell the story ahead. Before that, the forecast for today includes a chance of afternoon rain, but also highs from 100 to 104, meaning more people will be drinking water, adding to the demand Beaver Water District is experiencing. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports demand for water is high, not only because of the heat wave, but also because Northwest Arkansas receives, on average, 30 people a day. Beaver Water District broke another record. The district sold 101 million gallons of water on July 15th. This breaks the previous record of 88 million gallons of water treated and pumped in one day set this past September. And while Northwest Arkansas continues to grow, more people are using water to wash their face and clean dishes. The average person uses 80 to 100 gallons of water daily, according to the U.S. Department of the Interior. Aaron Needham is an associate engineer on the wastewater team at Olson and the treasurer of the Arkansas chapter of the American Society of Civil Engineers. And she says the rapidly growing population is what's driving the demand. We should get to a million within our next design horizon, say like 20 years or less. That growth is insane. It takes a lot of effort from all parties involved in water treatment in Northwest Arkansas to keep up with that crazy amount of demand that we've got here. Needham helps design the hidden underground network web of pipes and valves making up the water systems that reach Northwest Arkansans water faucets. The district sells water to Rogers, Springdale, Fayetteville, and Bentonville. Then, smaller areas get water from the four customer cities. She recently finished a project for a new elevated water tank in East Fayetteville and says it is sometimes hard to keep up with infrastructure. It just takes time to do all of these things. And if your area is not growing very fast, then you can keep up with that. But whenever things start really moving quickly in your population growth, it takes time to get through those processes. You know, we're all just human here. You can only design something so fast and build something so fast and it takes time to get through all of the the political side of it too like the process of getting through all the layers of the city and making sure that you have the adequate quality control on all of the projects that we're putting into place. Arkansas earned a D plus drinking water rating in 2014 on the state's American Society of Civil Engineers infrastructure report card. The state needed $6.1 billion to keep up with growing drinking water needs over the next 20 years, and 14% of water transmission and distribution lines that would be fixed or replaced in the next two decades needed attention in 2014, according to the society. Flash forward seven years to the state's 2021 report card. The number increased to $7.4 billion to keep up with the state's need in the next 20 years. 
One of the plans to stay with the pace of population and maintain quality in northwest Arkansas is the Western Corridor Project, a 40,000-foot-long, 60-inch pipe reaching from Beaver Water District to a new high-service station about seven miles to the west. But to my knowledge, it'll be the biggest treated water line in northwest Arkansas. You know, we have some lines within our plant treatment operations that are as large, but uh, as far as treated water lines that are leaving our treatment facility and as far as any other customer cities distribution networks, this will, to the best of my knowledge, will be the largest. That's Kevin M. Bowden, the Chief Operations Officer at Beaver Water District, and he says the district is not at pumping or design treatment capacity. The district can pump up to 140 million gallons of water a day, and the record-breaking number from earlier in July is about 29 million gallons shy. Now, that being said, you know, it, when you have these prolonged hot-dry periods, it does, you know, put some degree of strain on your facilities and to day after day after day to meet these types of demands that we've never seen before. But as of this time, our facilities are holding up very well. The lake levels are holding up well, but we're just like everybody else. We're hoping and praying for milder temperatures and some rain. And Bowden and Needham say whenever there are high temperatures like Northwest Arkansas is experiencing now, it is typical to see water use go up. And Bowden says the most recent record-breaking number is a combination of growth and weather. Over the years, the expanding region is reflected in how much water cities buy from the district. Uh, one other thing we've been asked about is how does this year compare to, to previous years, not, not just on a per day basis, but a year as a whole. And our fiscal year starts October 1st. And um, at this time, you know, due to the growth and the temperatures and dry weather that we've had, uh, we're about eight to nine percent ahead of last year, which was uh, the highest year that we had on record. To design a water system, cities have a planning process and need to get funding. Then there's design time and building the structures. Needham says projects taking six months to a year to complete is not uncommon, depending on the scope of the job. Okay, well, it's a lot more complex than a lot of people realize. Most people whose job doesn't revolve around this, like, they turn on their tap or their shower and they have clean water, and they don't have any need to think about it past that. They have other concerns in life, thinking about how they get clean water it's just something that we're all accustomed to. So you don't really, it doesn't occur to you to wonder how it gets there most, for most people, I think. For Ozarks at Large in the Bruce and Ann Applegate studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. In next month's special session of the legislature, Governor Asa Hutchinson and lawmakers have said they are trying to provide tax relief for Arkansans struggling with inflation. One item on the agenda will be making changes to a tax deduction used by businesses to help pay for equipment known as Section 179. Lawmakers want the state's deduction rate to match the federal government's. Currently, Arkansas provides a deduction of up to $25,000 for equipment costing up to $200,000, with a phase-out beginning after that point. The federal rate allows a max deduction of up to $1 million, with a phase-out beginning at $2.5 million. Hunter Byram, who is the University of Arkansas Division of Agricultural Economist, says the changes could provide immediate tax relief for farmers since Section 179 allows businesses to use the deduction the year the equipment was bought instead of over the number of years the equipment is expected to be used. Increasing that to match the federal could create an incentive there, but it does not guarantee that farmers will take advantage of it, if you know what I'm saying. Like, the incentive is there, but, you know, 
I just know right now producers aren't thinking about buying equipment. I, I doubt they're thinking about buying equipment at a time like this. Uh, but if the incentive was there, they may consider it uh, should they need that equipment. Byram says rising fuel costs are the biggest challenge for farmers since that cost increases the cost of irrigation. A clothing assurance program established by the Cherokee Nation is expanding. This month, the nation announced it has expanded its $150 clothing assistance program to include young college and career tech students to help assist with economic barriers. This follows an earlier statement from Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin, Jr. of a $150 school clothing program for Cherokees from birth to 18, making it the largest clothing assistance program in Cherokee history. The expanded clothing assistance program is for any Cherokee Nation citizen from birth to 18 and enrolled in high school and now expands to those in college or career tech and up to age 22. There are no residency restrictions or income guidelines for the program. Applicants must be a Cherokee Nation citizen as of July 7th this year. Proof of high school, college, or career tech enrollment will be required for applicants between the ages of 19 and 22. And the Arkansas School Safety Commission is considering how best to use federal funding that will be available to the state. During its weekly meeting yesterday, Commission Chair Cheryl May said an increasing amount of money could go toward a number of strategies to protect children. There's going to be a big boost uh, in school safety funding, uh, and it's also going to be um, an impact on uh, on school mental health, which is a both are really good things. So there's going to be one billion with a B, as in boy, um, additional funding added to Title IV. Title IV is a source of funding for school safety initiatives. May says she hopes some of that could go toward after-school programs, safety training, mental health resources, threat assessment, and reporting systems. A preliminary report on the committee's finding is due to Governor Asa Hutchinson next month, with a final report to be submitted in October. And since yesterday, state forestry crews have suppressed five wildfires over 17 acres, including wildfires in Carroll and Boone counties. Crews currently battling a blaze in Newton County. So far in July, 218 wildfires have been suppressed on 1,500 forested acres and 500 non-forest acres. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, a Northwest Arkansas retirement community catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being, offering apartments to village homes, plus a daily calendar of activities and events. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more. The Arkansas Times and the Arkansas Cannabis Industry Association present the Medical Marijuana Health Expo Saturday, August 27th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Northwest Arkansas Convention Center in Rogers. Medical professionals, pharmacists, and local bud tenders will lead seminars on treating a variety of symptoms with medical marijuana. Details and tickets available at centralarkansatickets.com. This is Ozarks at Large. The first time Sean Fitzgibbon was on our show to talk about a book he wanted to create about Norman Baker, an entertainer, radio host, and convicted felon, was nearly 15 years ago. We've kept in touch with Sean as he did research about Baker's life as well as his time at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. We also talked with him last year as he launched a Kickstarter to move into the final phases of production. Now the book, What Follows is True, is completed. It's a graphic novel that would be more accurately described as a graphic biography. It follows the career of a man who would enthrall, swindle, and lie. 
And there will be a book launch Friday night at the Community Creative Center in Fayetteville. We invited Sean Fitzgibbon back to the station last week to talk about the book and a bit about its main character, Norman Baker. Baker started his professional life as a machinist but quickly became a vaudevillian and entrepreneur, taking credit for the invention of an air-powered calliope that he called a calliophone. His trademark was disputed, and that would not be the last time he was at odds in some degree with the truth. Sean Fitzgibbon says Norman Baker was also an early adopter in the 1920s of the power of radio, broadcasting from Muscatine, Iowa. Calls at KTNT, which is an acronym for Know the Naked Truth. And at first it was more of a kind of an entertainment type mm-hmm. thing, you know, where it was uh, he would have like people with their, you know, have canaries on there with people with their trained canaries and them seeing and then he'd have a, a, a choir come in or, you know, a vaudeville type thing. You know, it was just it was a lot of that kind of thing. And then he also he also had a uh, uh, a, a business like he had like hey, that was that expanded out into almost like what was like the Sears and Roebuck. So he had just like he had a, a magazine and it was also called it was called TNT magazine, Na- The Naked Truth. And uh, and yeah, I mean, a lot of that was just like I said, it was just uh, merchandise like he sold everything from car tires to brooms, you know, mm-hmm. just to cans of beans, you know, everything. And uh, and he was very successful at that. Like you could even get your car filled up at the. KTT gas station in Muscatine. Wow. Yeah, I mean it was just So every- he's still in Iowa. And we're we're yeah. still in Iowa here. And but then Baker's uh his his rhetoric on the radio starts to become more inflammatory, more uh like uh a bit racist, you know, he be, he becomes more uh uh demagoguery, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and so he's uh he starts uh, just calling out everybody in town, every every business, every. I mean, he's he's calling out. He's starting to. Uh, uh, it, well, we kind of see this kind of thing today, where it's like kind of the anti-science, anti-vaxxers. I like was going to say, as you're talking about I, him <laughs> on the radio sure. and selling items yes. and sort of a demagogue, it does sound very 2022. Right. Right. And and what's crazy is is at at this time he's starting to kind of align himself with the with the working the farmers you know mm-hmm. in, in Iowa, and uh, and it's and once again I know I sound like it's <laughs> this is contemporary but this is not this is 1920s and he's he's uh, so during this time they're doing tuberculosis testing you know because that was a thing you know You're and right. so uh, tuberculosis testing. Uh, veterinarians were recommending that you know all cattle be tested, which makes sense, right? So, but he started. Uh, a lot of farmers didn't want that. They're like, no, don't leave my cattle alone, you know. And so he actually started siding with the farmers and and saying, no, you don't need to have your cattle tested. And this ca- created this big thing called the cow wars in Muscatine. And so he instigated this. In fact, it became they, uh, the farmers began rioting and rose up, and they even they even rioted, they they rioted at the uh, state capitol in in Iowa. Oh I know, and once again, that sounds a little yeah. But I mean, it really was uh, just this this 
uh, yeah, the same kind of thing, you know. Sean Fitzgibbon says Baker's mother died of cancer, and that may have been the inspiration for Baker to purchase the rights to, or perhaps just take, a purported cancer cure from a dubious medical spokesman in Kansas City. However he obtained the recipe, he began promoting it. And this took Norman Baker to a different level of questionable behavior. So he gets five patients, test patients, that were in advanced stages of cancer, and he has this in his magazine, in his TNT magazine. He has five patients, and he, he's given them his cancer cure. And, and as soon as he gives them the cancer cure, which all the cancer cure was, was uh, carbolic acid, glycerin, crushed watermelon seeds, and spring water. And guess what? That doesn't cause right, that doesn't, right. Right. That doesn't <laughs> help at all. It doesn't help at all. So anyway, it's like he, he gives these five patients that. And as soon as he does that, his next issue of TNT magazine, on the cover of that magazine, cancer is cured. You know, he, say, he states that. Now, he gives these patients this cancer elixir in, I want to say it's like around the first of the year. And then by like May of that year, all five patients are dead. Like every one of them had died. And then guess what Baker does? He reprints that same magazine without changing a single word. Not once, but twice. So he's not someone who is misguided thinking he's found a cure. He's an out-and-out fraud. A deadly yes. fraud. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I, you know, and that's where I think right there is where, you know, there's always that thing where people will say, well, you can't really, what's right. his intent? You know, it's like, well, yeah, I, come on. You know, it's like he did not change a single word. Sean Fitzgibbon's art in What Follows is True shows us Baker leaving Iowa to set up a radio station on the Mexico-Texas border, just outside the reach of the FCC. Then, eventually, hawking his bogus cancer cure from the Crescent Hotel, where he established what he called a cancer hospital. By the time he arrived in Eureka in the mid-1930s, he was both famous and infamous. Baker was actually a pretty big deal during that time. You know, he was just, it was entertainment, you know, mm -hmm. and people were just, they, they were charmed by it, you know, because he was a, you know, he was a, a vaudeville guy. He understood how to, how to draw a crowd. And he did that in Muscatine as well. Like thousands of people would come on the weekends to some of his shows. And he would, then when he started to get into the more snake oil salesmanship, cancer said he turned it into a show. It was mm -hmm. all a show. It was like, you know, like where he had, he, there was a guy one time that he, he pulled, you'll see it in the, in the book, but he pulled the top of his, his skull cap off. It wasn't actually his entire skull, but it looked like that. Right. And he, it's because he had some sort of non-cancerous thing where you mm -hmm. can do that. I don't know. And so anyway, it's like, and he would, he dumped his cancer cure on there oh and then popped it back on and people saw this and. And oh my gosh! Like thousands of people showed up for this. It was this such a sensational, crazy event. And he would just have like singers and you know, and in bands and all that kind of stuff. But I've got pictures of like when people would come to this. It was and just how many cars. It was just showed up from all over, all the way from like Kansas City, Missouri, to you know, to for these events in Muscatine, Iowa. Um, and so when he came to Eureka, yeah, it was, you know, imagine just some celebrity today, mm -hmm. you know, that's just going to open up a theater, open up a theater. Right. right. And so and 
this is the depression. Right. So he was a boon for their for their economy, which I, and so the Eureka Springs it actually never was that wasn't affected by the Great Depression that mm. all that much because of Bay. He actually did bring in a lot of business, you know. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, well, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and unfortunately, there would be people who would believe his hokum. Mm-hmm. They would come. They would take his elixirs. And I know that in a previous conversation we were talking about, uh, as you were in the process of creating this book, he would have people write letters in advance that say, I'm doing better. Oh, sure. And then send them even after <laughs> oh, yeah. the person had died Oh yeah. to get more money yeah. from relatives. Sure. Yeah. I don't want to spoil the story for people. <laughs> One thing that strikes me is that this is a fantastic story with so many elements. (laughs) I love that it's what follows is true. You want to make sure people know this isn't a novel. This isn't. No, it's not. This is. What kind of research did you do to make sure you had legend separated from fact? Yeah. Okay. Well, I. uh, Well, first off, my wife's a librarian at Fayetteville Public Library. And so it was Willow. Yes. And so in. She was instrumental in helping me uh, not only, you know, she we would go on these research trips. This is, I mean, years ago, we would go on these trips. Like, we went up to Muscatine, Iowa. And so Willow knows her way around a library better. And so we were able to, she was really good at helping me out with, you know, once I collected, like, I went on so many different research trips to all over the place, just different libraries and scouring databases and uh, of course, Mullins was, you know, um, was was great. I mean, I, I have a friend who was an archivist at the at, in Mullins, and uh, and Willow knows a lot of people that I've worked with. We've gotten we've gotten research from uh, uh, down in Texas, uh, Austin, Texas, at the uh, library there, like different, just all kind, all over the place, um, and uh, yeah, gone to cemeteries a lot of oral histories like I did one time uh, in the early I don't even know 2000 uh, when was this nine something like that I did a, a week-long residency at Derry Hollow in Eureka in Eureka Springs and so I Eureka was wonderful because you know of course I've already scoured the library for all their materials and but I interviewed so many different people that were somehow connected to the to the Baker Hospital at that time, or you know, or at least they had, or they had a family. They like one guy had a a a, gra- a father who wait no a grandfather who was a doctor at at Baker's Hospital, um, and I you know I, and like I said I met with Mac Weems. He was as I said he was very advanced in age, and so he was he was very uh, aware of what mm-hmm. was happening. At the, although he was more on the side of like now he. It was great. He was taking. He was helping people, you know. And wow. even yeah, even even when I interviewed him, he said no. It was, you know, he just had a real kind of a sunny disposition towards you know towards towards all of it. And, and uh, I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where I, that was what was so crazy is how divided to this day. Like there were people that would were staunchly Baker supporters today hmm. that would I would interview. Well, let me ask you about the art and the and because um, the beautiful imagery, oh, and I want to ask you about the color. I don't know if I'm going to say this term right, the color scheme or the colors chosen, because it's not quite sepia tone, <laughs> but there is an element of oh, these are the 20s and the 30s. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. 
And I'm wondering how you arrived at that. Okay, so um, I hope I, I answered enough about the research. I kind of yeah, uh, yeah, jumped yeah. around there. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. But, okay, so as far as the color goes, so the book is is color-coded. Like, I, this is just something I kind of came up with because it's not – it's nonlinear, but it's very easy to follow because, you know, sometimes you can be watching a film or read a book that's, that's nonlinear and it's like, wait a minute, where, wh- what track am I on right now? And I didn't want that to happen. I wanted this to be something where you could just easily just, you know, just glide from one era to the other and know exactly where you are. And so what I did is like, because I, I go, well, some of it's in the present because it's, well, I mean, I, I just tell this from my point of view, you know, as interviewing people. Like in the book, I'm actually interviewing people. I'm not – I never really say anything. I'm just kind of there, and I'm like just – they're they're telling me. So I'm just – I was there. I was on a ghost, you know, and ghost tour meeting people and doing all this. But – and uh, and then ju- usually they'll start talking, and then we kind of – we go back into whatever period. So there's like so there's the the present well the present being 2007 or right. whatever and then there's and then there's Baker's time when he's at the Crescent and then there's the early early like early days of the Crescent Hotel and then early Baker because Baker was born in I believe it was 1888 a couple of years like he's in Crescent's 1886 so they're around that same uh, time frame and. Uh, so that's more that era is very much sepia tones. Baker's era, when I well at the Crescent and you know around that time, is more purple. Like there's a sort of violet. Like because mm-hmm. Baker was obsessed with the color purple. Sean Fitzgibbon in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio last week discussing his completed, fully illustrated book. What follows is true. A book launch will take place at the Community Creative Center in Fayetteville Friday, from five until eight p.m. Artwork from the book will be on exhibit, as will original art by other illustrators from our area, including Chad Maupin, J.L. Morris, John Lucas, and Gustav Carlson. More about the book and the creator at SeanFitzgibbon.com. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville, serving Northwest Arkansas since 1973 with backcountry and urban footwear, clothing, equipment, and more. PackRat is dedicated to conservation and waste reduction. PackRatOC.com for online shopping, shipping, or curbside pickup. The Rave Cultural Foundation welcomes NWA Chai Time the third Sunday of each month. These family-friendly get-togethers will feature a sponsor expert sharing knowledge on topics such as gardening, writing a memoir, and more. Events are free, but registration is required. RA-VEculturalfoundation.org for more information. The next live at Turnbow concert in downtown Springdale is tomorrow night with Jukebox Confession. It's a free outdoor show starting at 6.30 at Turnbow Park. VIP seating is also available for the concert. That means tables accommodating 10 guests can be reserved in advance, food and drink included. More information at downtownspringdale.org. And if it rains tomorrow night... And that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But if it rains tomorrow night, the concert would move to Sunday night at 6.30. You still have a chance, speaking of tomorrow night, to take part in a statewide community read. The If All Arkansas Read the Same Book event is tomorrow night, also at 6.30. Emily St. John Mandel will lead a live discussion of her best-selling novel, Sea of Tranquility. 
She's the author of other novels, including The Glass Hotel and Station Eleven. The If All Arkansas Read the Same Book Community Read Project made possible in part by a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services. And the next topic for discussion in the Onward Ozark series is Northwest Arkansas's growing diversity. It will include an update on the Northwest Arkansas Council's work toward making the region a more welcoming and inclusive place to live, play, and work. Margot Labaster, the executive director of Engage NWA, will speak. And a panel discussion will include the founder and president of Arkansas Association of Asian Businesses and the president of Banco C, a division of Signature Bank of Arkansas. Conversation is Friday morning at 9 on Zoom. To participate, you can register at Eventbrite by searching for Onward Ozarks. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. Rubicon, a Saline County community named for a Roman river, has largely passed into history. Charles Dyer and his sons moved to Arkansas from Kentucky in 1835, settling along the Middle and Alum forks of the Saline River. By 1860, the area was known for farming, trapping, and hunting, and was home to three doctors, two blacksmith shops, two gristmills, and a wagon maker. But after the devastation of the Civil War, it reverted to agriculture and exploitation of timber resources. A Rubicon post office was established in 1891 with Charles Ewell as postmaster. Most of what is known about the community is through Ewell, who wrote a folksy column on the area for the Benton Courier for 50 years. By 1900, Rubicon was home to 50 people and held two general stores, a blacksmith shop, and a railway agent who carried goods to and from the nearest railroad station, 12 miles away in Garland County. Today, the communities of Crows and Gravel Hill stand on the site of Rubicon. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large. Startup Junkie Foundation is a nonprofit firm interested in spurring entrepreneurship. Art Ventures is a nonprofit educational organization dedicated to providing art access to all and boosting artists who live here. If you're thinking the mission of each of those Fayetteville-based organizations sounds similar, you're a good company. The people at each agree, and last week their first collaborative effort of spirit took place in a co-work space at Startup Junkie on the second floor of the Pryor Center on the Fayetteville Square. I mean, it's really hard to spend little time. That's the point, yeah. you know. Most people, they just look at it work for like 30 seconds. But that's Jeffrey Cantu, an artist based in the Arkansas River Valley, talking about his artwork that's right now on the walls at Startup Junkie. This took place at a reception last week at Startup Junkie. For about half an hour, he answered questions about his work, colorful abstract works with a wide possibility of interpretations. The exhibit, Outlines of Imagination, is the first for Startup Junkie as part of Art Ventures' regional exhibition program. Lakeisha Edwards, the executive director of Art Ventures, says she's heard that the collaboration between her organization and Startup Junkie might be unexpected. Most of my collaborations are unexpected, but I'm a social worker, so I don't look at what people do. I look at what they're capable of. Caleb Talley, the executive director of Startup Junkie Foundation, says artists like Jeffrey Cantu are entrepreneurs as well. They are in business for their, themselves. They're solopreneurs, um, so it only makes sense that uh, as we are going out and empowering entrepreneurs in our Northwest Arkansas community, that we would bring artists into that fold, and that's something we've always known to be the case, is that artists are entrepreneurs. Um, and so we want to be supportive of them, whether that's by putting their art on the wall here physically or just generally collaborating to help kind of share the mission of both Art Ventures and Startup Junkie in lockstep. And Lakeisha Edwards says a shared passion extends 
beyond just the recognition that artists are entrepreneurs. And also the creativity, because Startup Junkie allows them to talk to their peers and collaborate and increase their access to resources, and we do as well. We do the same thing for artists. Jeffrey Cantu, the featured artist, has had exhibitions at the Fort Smith Regional Art Museum, has installations currently at Black Apple Cidery in Springdale and Cash Studios in Bentonville, and his scenic art for the University of Arkansas Fort Smith Theater production of Mist and Shadows earned awards. He was also an artist for Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art Community Arts Program in 2020. And that's a partial list. Still, he says it's humbling to be the first artist to be in this particular space. It is, especially after the beginning of COVID. And that's where predominantly most of this work began. So it's kind of nice, you know, it's coming back to that. You know, during that time, especially, you were secluded from anything. And you didn't know what tomorrow held. So I'm... It's totally amazing, you know, taking advantage of this space. And, um, you know, hopefully it generates ideas, if anything. And generating ideas is exactly what Caleb Talley with Startup Junkie Foundation hopes Cantu's abstract art will do. The works are hanging in a co-workspace where entrepreneurs are often seeking inspiration to turn their dream into a reality. Uh, Lakeisha and I, we went through and looked at some um, some pieces just from various artists that she works with. Um, and Jeffrey's work just immediately stood out to me because it's he used the word chaotic on some of his pieces. Um, and when you think about you know taking the leap to get into entrepreneurship and that sort of thing, um, it is a lot of chaos. And so I'm not saying his work's chaotic, um, but the colors and the shapes and uh, just the entire vibe of his work just really kind of speaks to um, the risk the folks are taking when they go out and pursue their own ventures. So I think it works naturally. And Cantu says the inspiration can work both ways. It makes me wonder, like, what did they think of this? Or, you know, I mean, everyone has their own opinions and ideas, but hopefully it gives them a question, like, what is this? <laughs> You know, I, I don't really necessarily like to explain the art because I want the viewer to uh, appreciate on their own and see it as it is, you know, instead of forcing it. And when I came in, um, he asked me about the piece and it clicked on him. He saw exactly what I was envisioning. And in the space, it's great because they were talking about it. So it's amazing, you know. And a lot, a lot of artists are also really, um, they are introverts, and it's hard to share something. It's so personal. And me, like I stated before, I was in a pop-up uh, art gallery in Fort Smith. I was a volunteer for nearly two years, and I actually learned a lot from the experience. Jeffrey Cantu is a represented artist of Art Ventures, and Lakeisha Edwards, the executive director of Art Ventures, says... Jeffrey extends the mission of the organization. He is one of those go-getters where it makes it very easy for us to represent him because he is always eager to take advantage of opportunities that we place before him. The whole point of representation is for us to um, increase the exposure for our artists, put them in spaces such as this where they wouldn't normally go or they may not know exactly who to approach or how to approach getting into those spaces. Jeffrey Cantu's exhibition, Outlines of imagination can be seen in the free co-work part of Startup Junkie on the second floor of the Pryor Center on the Fayetteville Square.
Art Ventures, by the way, has a home at 20 South Hill Avenue in Fayetteville and online at artventures-nwa.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for spending time with us on this last Wednesday in July. Tomorrow night, the limited-run podcast series, The R Word, produced at KUAF, will be recorded live at St. James Missionary Baptist Church on North Street in Fayetteville. The conversation about reparations and more will be the fourth and final episode in the podcast run. The third episode is available right now at KUAF.com. The guest on that episode, Jamar Tisby. And in this excerpt from that episode, host Lowell Taylor asked Jamar to introduce himself. I am a black Christian who has learned the hard way about the enduring racism in some circles of white Christianity. Uh, I became a Christian in high school through the ministry of a white evangelical youth group, Um, went to undergrad at the University of Notre Dame, where I actually got exposed to something called Reformed Theology. Then after I graduated, I became a teacher in the Teach for America program. That's how I got from the Midwest, where I grew up, down to the Deep South in the Delta on the Arkansas side. So so we share a state here. And um, I came face to face with the crushing injustice of extreme concentrated generational poverty. Uh, Where I live in the Delta is one of the poorest counties in the entire nation. Um, the poverty rate is double the, the state average, which is already higher than the national average. Um, and all of the issues that go along with poverty uh, took on a human face because it came walking into my classroom on two legs uh, every day. So I learned about functional homelessness, and we had a student who um, had a roof over his head every night but didn't know which roof it was going to be any, any particular night. Uh, he would stay with various relatives and friends of the family, uh, depending on the situation. We could always tell when he had stayed with his grandmother and grandfather because he came in with a clean uniform, his homework done, he had a good night's sleep. We could tell when he had stayed the night with someone else because he was wearing the uniform from the day before or more. Uh, he hadn't done any of his homework and probably hadn't gotten much sleep the night before. It wasn't from a lack of care from the adults in his life. It was just the exigencies of, of, of their daily struggle for survival made it hard to take care of um, a young child. Uh, we also had you know students who came in every day, didn't have food. Their idea of um, breakfast was whatever they got at the gas station that morning, which was chips or pickles or juice that had, you know, enormous amounts of sugar, nothing healthy. So we always had to have breakfast um, at the school just because you can't learn if you're hungry. Um, So all of those things, and I started asking, well, what does my faith have to do with this? What does my faith say to these issues of real material poverty and injustice? And in the circles I'd been in, these evangelical and reform circles, they didn't speak explicitly to these topics very much, let alone along racial lines. So um, went to seminary in Jackson, Mississippi at Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, 
got a great education in some ways, but also a very difficult education in others as I started speaking out more publicly about race, formed what became The Witness um, and uh, became a target because I was writing about these things, I was podcasting about these things, I was speaking about these things. And then everything, you know, this national conversation hits with Trayvon Martin, then Mike Brown, the Black Lives Matter movement, the 2016 presidential cycle, all of that. Um, but in the midst of it, I rediscovered my love for history, enrolled in the PhD program at the University of Mississippi, wrote two books while uh, in grad school when I should have been writing my dissertation. Um, and uh, the first was The Color of Compromise, which talked about racism in the U.S. church throughout U.S. history. And the second one, uh, as you mentioned, was How to Fight Racism, which is an answer to that practical question. What do we do? Uh, now, I spend most of my time writing at my newsletter, so uh, hopefully folks will understand this is the beginning of a conversation, and you can go to jamartisby.substack.com uh, to keep up with all my latest writing and thoughts around race, religion, politics, justice, those kinds of things. Jamar Tisby, talking with the host of the podcast, The R Word, in the third episode of that series. It's available right now at KUAF.com. The fourth and final episode will be a community-wide conversation about reparations recorded at St. James Missionary Baptist Church in Fayetteville tomorrow night, beginning at 6. You can find out more information or RSVP by searching Facebook for The R Word, a community conversation. That event tomorrow night, free and open to the public. I'm Matthew Moore, the producer for Undisciplined. We're currently working on season three, so now's a great time to catch up on our back catalog. And don't just take my word for it. Just ask an upcoming guest on the show. Originally, I thought, okay, this is going to be so Arkansas-centric that I'm going to listen to a few of these to get the flavor. But I never got tired of it. Listen to Undisciplined on KUAF.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. Last week, we heard songs performed inside our Furman Garner Performance Studio by Austin-based songwriter Paige Renee Berry. She was on a tour of the Southeast with fellow musicians McCain Lakey and Creek Bed Carter Hogan. Today, we're going to hear a couple songs performed by Creek Bed Carter Hogan. First time on our show. She's accompanied on this first track by fiddler Abs Collar. Okay, uh, I'm Creek Bed Carter. This is Abs on Fiddle. Uh, and we're going to be playing a song called Sycamore.
One of my favorite things about uh, country music is the Rascal songs, you know? Like, I would say everything by Roger Miller is a Rascal song, and, uh, and that's my guy. He's my guy. John Prine, big old Rascal. Oh, man. Even Alan Jackson is in his moments. He could have it sometimes. Oh, I want to play a little Rascal song. <laughs> But I don't know why Cause it feels real mean And they should call it hell Get me out of here 
Lovin' set me free, my darling, lovin' set me free. Lovin' leave me be, I'm begging, lovin' leave me be. Cause you're a scabby old cast iron rustin' away, and I'm lettin' you fool me every day. Well, fool me once, fool me twice, I guess. They call it lovin' down in paradise. Fool me thrice, fool me quadruple. When will I learn anything from all of my scruples? Oh, I don't know when. But I hope it's soon. Cause I'm getting old and I'm rotting away. Well, I am through with loving every other day. Yeah, I am through with loving. Loving ain't my way. No, loving ain't my way, my darling. Loving ain't my way. Every other day, my darling. Every other day. Cause you're a skunk, weed, slithering, quick talking piece, and I'm letting you fool me with looks like these. Well, fool me once, fool me twice, I guess they call the loving down in paradise. Fool me thrice, fool me quadruple. When will I learn anything from all of my scruples? Fool me quintuple, fool me sextuple. I guess we never made a very good couple, but I wish we did. Cause I miss you still. Oh, cut you out, cut you out of my heart. Fool me quadruple when will I learn anything from all of my scruples? Fool me quintuple, fool me sextuple, I guess we never made a very good couple. Oh, fool me septuple, fool me octagon, when will I stop feeling so empty? Robogon, fool me nine, fool me ten. Well, Christ, I'm falling back in love all over again. That was Creek Bed Carter Hogan performing Inside the Furman Garner Performance Studio at KUAF earlier this year. You can find more music from Creek Bed Carter Hogan at creekbedcarter.com or by searching Facebook. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Centerton. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Anna Pope, Timothy Dennis, and Mark Christ. Lee Wood produces the podcast, The R Word. Additional content today provided by Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich and the news team at KUAR, that's Public Radio in Little Rock. 
You know, we don't often have enough time every day to include everything we want with each interview or news story. So we're making room at the end of many of our shows to share some of those bits of conversation from previous programs. Today, we're giving our last word to Casey Burke, the artist we talked with yesterday about her art and how she's making sure she can share her message about melanoma. She was diagnosed with melanoma last year. And at the end of our conversation, she added one more thing. I want to... share the importance of getting skin checks and finding a a dermatologist that really takes melanoma seriously. I think it could save lives. Casey Burke's artwork can be found online at printgirl.com. That's G-U-R-L, printgirl.com. And you can see her work on the cover of the latest issue of the Idol Class magazine. Friday night, there will be a celebration of that issue at Art Collective Gallery on South First Street in Rogers from 6 until 8.30. You can hear the entire interview that uh, I had with Casey if you search yesterday's show at ozarksatlarge.com. Tomorrow on Ozarks, tis the season to announce seasons. This week, we've been treated to the announcements of next year's concerts from the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas and for the Starlight Jazz Club and West Street Live Concert Series at Walton Arts Center. And an ambitious season of classical music in Joplin with the 2022-23 Pro Musica Series, including performances by Grammy-nominated and Van Cliburn-winning musicians and the Vienna Boys Choir. A conversation with Emlyn Johnson, the executive director of Pro Musica, about a lineup of classical music in southern Missouri, most of it free. That and much, much more tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. You can listen when you want when you take advantage of our podcast version. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kyle Kellums from the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver, for, uh, Carver Center for Public Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Stay cool, hydrate, talk to you soon.